broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to episode 136 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan Mann. And... Yeah, today bit of a bit of a, a weirder one. We are doing what what Dan has titled 2024 Opinion Palooza, where it's broken down into two halves. One is Opinion Palooza where it's really Dan just wants to unload some hot takes on the internet. And the other half is prognostications where we're going to talk about, you know, 2024 Age of Sigmar. We're going to talk a little bit of Old World in in both sections because it's a it is a fantasy game, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. I think that's where you're going to find the biggest disagreement between Dan and I. Mm-hmm. Sure. In what we're looking forward to there. Yeah, that's the show for today. Okay, awesome, man. Now let's jump in because there's quite a bit to talk about. In whispers, we have uh, some discussion about Adepticons and different things going on. So let's jump into whispers from the warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendy, your hobby table is a busy place, I hear. Yeah, we've got the Iron Jaws for the most part finished up. I have right now three more models I need to paint, and I'm waiting on two of them from the conversion center. And, um, <laughs> you know, waiting for basing material, waiting for some bits. But, you know, by and large, you know, my my stuff is is done. And okay. so that's, that's pretty exciting. I have been working on painting some Beastmen since the Old World stuff got announced. I saw them on the and, Twitters. Yep. Looking cool. Yeah, I, it, it was they, just uh, weird seeing them on square bases. That was bizarre. <laughs> it's like, okay. They, most most of my Beastmen have never left square bases. Mm-hmm. The major need for painting them is I don't love the way they look because they were painted by me as a literal child. <laughs> so we're going to try and get those into a, a more presentable state. But I'm I'm pretty excited to, to get painting more of them and figuring all that out. Great. And at some point, I'm maybe going to have to paint some Nighthawk models, maybe some corn models, maybe some Gitz models oh, for wow. national teams, Nurgle models. We're, we're in the process of brainstorming what what we want to do and we've got it narrowed down to roughly 25 percent of the armies that you can play in warhammer so i'm really hoping this battle scroll narrows some things down for us so does that it allows you to bring like just this mad mash of units from different factions is what it is well so it's Right, it's it's four player teams like ATC or Kansas City Open. Sure. But you can't repeat War Scroll Battalions, Grand Strats, Endless Spells and things like that. But there's an award for playing within the same uh, basically the same battle tome where oh, if you can okay. like the highest placing team where as many <clears throat> players as possible are playing within the same book, but you can't repeat scrolls, so trying to figure out those Ooh, lists are that's tough it's very compelling right there's some factions that do it a lot easier than others just because they have a million war scrolls like mm. stormcast mm-hmm. there are armies like gloomspike gets where the power is so individually segmented where you know like all of the squig stuff go together and all of the trogs go mm. together sure and and all of that makes sense where 
while you're not building maybe necessarily the single most competitive list, you have four lists that, that function. Okay. And, you know, like the Orc War Clans book is a great example because you have three distinct armies and then a fourth one, which is a mix of the other three. So how do you, how do you mm. balance all of that? So mm-hmm. we're in the process of figuring that out. And okay. hopefully we, we figure something out because that event is in <laughs> February. Jeez, it's not much time. So yeah. I am pretty much finished with my Sylvaneth now. I think I have painted everything I'm going to want to paint. I ended up selling my Alarial model, which is a pretty good indicator that I'm not going to paint her <laughs> or play with her. I just have so many other options, and there's so many other cool things in the book that end up filling up those 2,000 points real quickly. And I think they're all fun, and they're used the word compelling. You know, they're all have their their benefits and mixing and matching the way I like to do. So I finished up Belthanos finally, and I think he came out really nicely, really happy with the way the the dry brushing on the wings came out and bringing that out, the little swirly parts. I had originally tried to paint that with, dry brush that with regular paint, which I normally don't do, and it just did not look right. So fortunately, I had it, the base coat was an army painter paint that I already have, which I always use the army painter spray paint so it's color matched, right? So I can just paint over my mistakes and what I considered a mistake. And then I have a whole collection of Citadel dry brush stuff. And so I used the two colors from there and it looked good and it came out much sharper than it was originally. Um, I'm really happy with the way Belthanos looks. Really a nice match with the rest of my Kurnoth. <clears throat> really happy to have him done. And then I got a unit of Rev Seekers finished And, you know, because bugs have luminous wings, we know this, luminescent wings. Yeah, true, very true. (laughs) I tried some color shifting paint for the first time, and everybody says that you want to put thin coats on. It doesn't seem like it'll do anything, but I put three thin coats, and after the first coat, like, boom, you can see the color already. I thought it wouldn't be much of it all, because they also recommend that you put a, a black primer down, so I had painted the wings where the color shifting was going to go with a, a black primer. And it turns out it looks fun. And definitely you can see the color shift. <laughs> it's really easy and it looks pretty neat. So those guys are done. And now there's not really anything I don't have. I have all the tree lords. I have all the Kurnos. I have these guys now. And I actually had some uh, spite revs. Yeah, the spite revs. I actually have a unit of like 15 of those painted. So if I ever wanted to play with those, I could. But there just isn't really anything in there that that isn't available to me. So that's cool. My next project then, since the workbench has been cleared, is to start on my corn stuff. And that will start with my Nurgle contingent, <laughs> Fulgas uh, group from the Regiment of Renown. So I'm going to do a Harbinger, a couple of Blight Lords to get started. And I think I'll have some fun with that. So different than what I'm used to after doing Sylvana for so long. All right. Pre-orders. Well... There's Old World, and there's everything else. <laughs> yeah. So there's boxes, and there's bases, and there's books, and there's books, and there's still more books, and lots of stuff on the pre-order. Much of it is sold out at this point, but it's all there. You can see what's available. and So, I mean, that's really kind of it. In terms of drops, there's nothing significant. I think there were some made-to-order models that were put up. There's some Tyranid stuff that you couldn't get before out of the box. I think also that Trog and Belthanos and um, the Stormcast guy 
mm -hmm. Iconos. Ionos. Ionos, yeah. So those are all available separately now, which is really cool too, because you know those were only in the boxes before, so or whatever, but they weren't available separately. So those are out on the out on the street too. So good. So that's it for product um, games played, Brendan. Other than Sigmar. Yeah. Other than Sigmar, I've been playing Armored Core Six: Fires of Rubicon. <laughs> So a bit of a bit of a nostalgia game for me. I remember me and my my buddy just playing Armored Core Four on the PS2, and <laughs> wow. building his Mac and me building my Mac, and on the split screen. It's like time warp stuff. PS2. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and um, wow. this game is so difficult in spots. Uh, mm. You know, it's, it's a FromSoft game, so that's your Elden Ring folks. Yeah, like it's it's fun to play. You know, I might kind of hit a tough spot, and I'll I'll set it down for a little bit. I'll come back, you know, maybe a couple of days later, and and try the try the boss situations again. Just been a lot of fun, great, and great. you know, a game that I remember fondly, and you know, it it reminds me a lot of of the game I played, and yeah. um, you know, so nothing wrong with that. nostalgia. That's that's a good thing. So I've been doing Beyond Earth. You know, Civ. It's just <clears throat> I haven't had time to do Starfield. I just have it. I know there's a big update that came out in December. I think there's going to be another one coming out in February, but I just haven't had the the block of time that I've talked about before needing um, to be able to move forward and kind of reorient yourself as you go back into the world. So I have done a lot of Beyond Earth and it's just such a wonderful game because every single game is different. The world, the map changes, the biome changes. <laughs> it was so fun because I usually pick two of the AIs that are really aggressive. So they like to declare war way before they're even ready to do it. They just do it. And I know they can't do much to me, but this one guy, the way the map was set up, there was a continent that I was on and the southern end, southern end of it had a channel running through it between it and the southern pole region. So there was ice on one side and land on the other. So I picketed like four or five submarine units in this area. And the cool thing about the submarines is they could go under the ice, which is pretty neat. And you can't attack them if they're under the ice. So sure. he tried to send this little task force through. And I just had these subs one at a time just shot at each unit. And then they also had a, an air base with some aircraft and boom, it was just done. But it was so cool because I'd never done something like that before. And it's like, yeah, just such a great game. Definitely, it kind of, not that it's nostalgic for me because it's not that old, but I, it's just a very reliable game in terms of entertainment and, you know, really having to think and challenge. So that's really cool. All right, Sigmar Games. Well, I got a game in. You did. Uh, yeah. Against one of our listeners, too. Yeah, against Ellis, who is one of our Youngblood's uh, folks. We ended up playing a game at Warp Storm, and he brought his Lumineth. He's making good progress with them. And he had a couple units of archers, I think two or three units of spears. He had two units of horses. He had the suit of armor that is empty. He had a crossbow, the big giant crossbow thing. He had two units of sword guys. It was a good game. It went back and forth. I kind of went out early in front, but then he kind of came back and then it just went back and forth. <laughs> my swords were just, I didn't, I felt kind of bad because every time my swords would touch one of his units, they just disappeared Oof. from the board. <laughs> well, that's, that's what you that's pay, what, that's what pay 500 points for. So it's true. And then they would just fade away and he's like, I can't do anything. Like, oh, that's true. <laughs> it's tough. And then he took my gossamids, which was really fun. You know, 
I've realized after playing them in seven or eight games now, they're just not that good. They're just way too squishy. If your opponent has any shooting at all, they just disappear. But they're still fun to play, and they certainly did some work before they did disappear. Sure. <laughs> Once a couple units of Sentinels said, you are gone, it's like they went M. So good game. I think it was like 20 to 17, so it was close after we finished. And um, a couple of things that was interesting, you know, he's still relatively new to competitive play and he doesn't get a lot of games and so uh, one of the things I recommended for him that a lot of our friends do that play Lumina is they have the, you know the little gems or whatever so as they use their ether quartz whatever it is each unit they can pull it but it's marked and then other things you know that we have sets of markers for the, all the admin stuff our units have this thing or that thing and it's he just really didn't have that so it was all kind of trying to keep track of it between the two of us so I just suggested to him, you know, that he try to look for things like that that would help him and his opponent, really, as much as, as himself. So, but had a great game. I really appreciate him coming out and doing that. So looking forward to seeing him, hopefully, at Adepticon this year. That'd be great. All right. So let's go through events. The January RTT, unfortunately, I couldn't make it. But I want to thank Dave, as always, for running it. And the great thing is that he has been so reliable in running it every month since he started doing this last fall. So I know that beginning of February, there'll be another one and so forth and so on. So that's really good. I won't be able to make FreeCon, unfortunately, in January because of personal stuff uh, that I need to be on the road for. But you have Brewhammer. You're on waitlist, you said? Yep. Waitlisted for Brewhammer. Waitlisted for the event in Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> I am... Signed up for and attending Nashville teams in February. Mm-hmm. Signed up for and attending the Bruce Sky event in Michigan in oh, cool. April. Nice. Signed up for and attending the Adepticon teams in March. So, you know, sign up for Adepticon events, people. That's up. That's live. Yes. At yes. time of recording, Champs is almost sold out. But, you know, get on the wait list there. You know, if you can't get... We have two other events on Thursday and Friday. We have 3K, and we have Legacy, which is my current harebrained scheme <laughs> of basically Sigmar 2.5. Okay. So War Scroll Battalions, no Core Battalions. Um, mm. letting Legacy is letting in Compendium and Legends stuff as well. And okay. So it's going to be... I'm going to try and keep it as familiar as possible with people playing in 3.0 i don't want to say yeah we're playing with the 1.0 rules that's that's not fair or realistic for a lot of people sure you know we're not going to get into legacy war scroll battalions or things like that so you have war scroll battalions and all your battle tomes you you'll be able to use those great you know we're going to dig up some old missions and third edition of 5m for for people so i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing how all of that works with a number of people because obviously i have an idea of how i think it goes down but you know proof is proof is usually made in application so how how um, big are you making the legacy event the table space in the hall was basically use it or lose it we grabbed as many as humanly possible tables so okay we we ended up doing 150 players for champs as the starting point and then we grabbed another 70 on Thursday and Friday for okay. 
if the demand and so right all of sigmar is under the same bit of management so if we need to switch one for the other we we have the ability to do so but okay if we didn't if we didn't take the tables then they were going to get allocated to somewhere else and we have historically had need for all of the tables and more so and then you're playing you're playing in teams on saturday and sunday again right yes okay and that's still huge like a couple hundred people yeah, uh, when I checked yesterday, it was 50 teams, which would be 200 people. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> you know, so that's uh, <laughs> not a small event. Yeah, that's great. That's good stuff. People enjoy it enough, then that's, that's what matters. That's cool. So you're going to be busy those four days for sure. I started out, you know, with my list of like 10 things I wanted to do for the three days, because Sunday I'm booked for Youngbloods, running that again with Doug. But I got waitlisted on seven of them, <clears throat> and being... You know, as many people are a veteran of Adepticon, it was like, okay, I know what to do. So I just went back and started on the Thursday schedule and started picking stuff that looked interesting. And yeah. I ended up with like five events on Thursday, <laughs> like two hours, hour and a half, an hour, whatever they are. Just And then Friday and Saturday are pretty booked too. The one thing, the two things that I'm really excited about of all of them are on Saturday night again, looks like Doug and Dave and I will be playing the pit, which is just this awesome, cool, narrative, goofy event uh, run by Corey, who runs uh, and created uh, Witchborn, a game. Uh, the other thing that looks really, really cool is there is a World War II historical game called Memoir 44, and usually they'll pick a battle like you know Omaha Beach or whatever it is, Market Garden or something like that, and they'll do a simulation for it. This year, they have all five Normandy beaches on one map, all collected. And I just can't even imagine what that's going to look like. But it just sounds fantastic. Yeah, so, that'll be really cool. And it's like a five-hour event. So I'm very, very much looking forward to, to seeing it playing in that one. So, yeah. So another another busy, busy four days. Yeah. Yeah. Very busy. <laughs> yeah. You more than me, because you you got you got responsibility with your stuff. I just have to play. Yeah, and, those those and volunteer walk away. days are, are long. Yeah, those are very long days. Yes, they are, Brendan. You're to be commended, and everybody who helps out with those for for what you do. All right, man. I think that's it then for whispers, and let us move on to opinion palooza and prognostications. I mean, what are we? A team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're we're a time bomb. So it is time for some opinions before we do some predictions. So my first one, and I think listeners, you're going to find that most of the time on these, I'm saying something and Brendan's going to either agree or disagree or at least provide some feedback to my my opinion. <laughs> and we're just going to kind of go through it like that. So my first one is Belthanos, Dead Man Walking. Now, my opinion of this comes from playing or seeing him played in five different games. Three I looked on online, you know, at Battle Reports, and I played him in two. In four of the five games, he died before the end of the game. Now, in all fairness, while he was alive, Belthanos did work. Oh, my God. I can't imagine an army with, like, any more, I can't imagine, an army like with Durthu or with Kurnoths not having Belthanos. And even, even you know, like Rev Seekers or Lancers, you know, it doesn't matter. And you have a war, you have a, uh, 
what do you call it, Morsinger. So you're getting the extra yeah. three there and you get the run and charge. It just, it's amazing what he does. Also, that whole thing of him being able to change terrain is so influential. Very powerful. My gosh, you take that base and you turn it into arcane. So wherever you have in there is plus one, you know, and my tree lord ancient is a spell caster. So if he's close to an arcane, you know, something that he turns into arcane, he's at plus one. And it's just like, wow, it's all so good. And, you know, I guess part of it, Brendan, and I think we talked about this earlier was, you know, is he being used correctly? Is he is he really what he looks like on paper with a three-up save and a five-up ward? He should be able to just go out there and beat stuff up and just stay engaged. And he, But that's not, from your thoughts, I know that's not really who he is. He's more of a, a war song, isn't he? Yeah. Kind of a beefed-up so, war song. I, I think the folks who go, who look at it and go, oh my goodness, we finally have a, a combat character. No. Um, are... Are a touch misguided in mm. terms of what this character does. Yes, you have eight very good attacks. The hit and the wound effective. The rend good. The damage very good. But you're not going to be able to throw Balthanos into the thick of everything and expect to hmm. return from that unscathed. He's got no inherent healing, right? So you are dependent on you know your one wound that you're going to get back. In your turn, you are dependent on uh, heroic actions, which mm. you might not always be wanting to spend in that place. You are dependent on spells to either heal him or make him more durable. Where your greater strength lies is having a movement 12 character who can run in charge mm-hmm. and can take out things at the edge in combat that are excellent, but also use those abilities to deliver your hammers to where mm. to where you need them to be. Yeah. Certainly the thing that I think is maybe best on his war scroll is the command ability to get units to retreat and charge. Yeah. Spite Rider Lancers are best off the charge. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, tying them up and tying them up for the for the long term makes them, you know, kinda useless. The worst place to have your Kurnoths is in combat with a unit that they are definitely going to kill regardless of the number of swords or size that you have. Uh, that's that's a bad fight for them to be in because you are paying, you know, nearly five hundred points for that, you know, that unit that you you want them fighting the biggest thing possible. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna use the strike and fade probably on them if you're worried about what the swing back is gonna be. But yes. I think that the standard play for Balthanos, at least as I've observed in battle reports, I haven't gotten the chance to play him, is that he is treated too much like an absolute hammer. Yes. And expect him to, because he's got a three up, five up, which is arguably the best base save, you know, Alaria with her healing, you could argue, is you know, has more durability components, but it would be considered one of the most durable units in the book. But you, you just can't make that expectation. You have to be much more conservative, I think, with, with him. No different than basically everything in the Sylvaneth book. Whatever you think the right way to play it is, dial it dial it back maybe two notches and that's probably where where it should be that's that's part of the nuance of that army is learning those things you know and i think you make a really good point because i think about my war song you know when i was using him and near you know the end of using him like the last tournament and a couple other places i can remember that i ended up moving him out of 
the Castlewoods, you know. But it was always, to your point with Belthanos, it was always after something I knew I could kill or something I knew he would survive the punchback. So it was never really a risk using him that way. But it was always very, very selective when I got him engaged with something. And I think, to your point, that's kind of what Belthanos is. If you see a hero, you know, on a, on a steed or something out there, Belthanos would be great for that. Go for it. Kill that thing. You know, as long as you're not going to get, <laughs> you're not going to get return fire. Yeah. Also, you have to understand, Belthanus is a monster. You're not going to hide him anywhere, really. You're not going to hide him in that woods because you're going to put other stuff in there, right? If your opponent wants to kill him, they're going to kill him, even with the saves that he has. But you want to minimize right. that risk is the point. So You, you want to make it more difficult for them. You want them, yeah. if they're going to do it, they have to sell out, you know, yeah. in expose their army to a back-breaking crackback. Sure, yep. You know, but the same can be said for, right, you know, you, you wrote this in here, and, you know, the, we've recorded this a couple <laughs> times now. The, the, first, the first time you put this to me, I was, you know, I was like, yeah, that all makes sense, but, like, you know, he's got the same durability as, like, Durthu. Yep. If not more so, right? Yeah. But... But so the expectation to me that, that, that this character is the one that's going to be able to go mm -hmm. out and do these things mm -hmm. feels a little silly to me. Like, yes, you have mm -hmm. a character who can do that more often. Yeah. The Warsinger is pretty good in combat, but you don't see people just chucking him into, yeah. uh, you know, right. into combat and just going, all right, hell or high water. It's going to be what it's going to be. But, yeah. Well, in Durthu, no, to, to oh, no. what you said, I mean, if you got that plus three from the Spite Swarm, you always knew in your head that Durthu was going to be fading out. You, that, you just assumed that that was his function, you know? He's going to go in, punch the heck out of something, and then get the hell out of Dodge and get back home. So it's, it's the same kind of thing. So good. All right. So the next thing I wanted to just talk about a little bit was battle tactics. So sure. I, I want to start this discussion by saying I think that in any gaming system, whether it be AOS or 40K, I think 40K has a really rich secondary objective system. And for me, I think it's, it, this again is my opinion, I think it's essential to have a secondary objective system in a game because it adds that depth of interest because if all you have is your primary objective, you're gonna go out there, let's say turn two, boom, you get your objective. And you're just gonna be sitting there for the rest of the game going, okay. <laughs> like there, there's nothing else to motivate you and keep you interested in what's happening on the table. But if you have those secondaries, and again, I'm gonna use, cause I think, and we have talked about this before, but I think the card system that they have for secondaries is really cool because you know you have this deck of cards that's for your army. It's for yep. whatever your faction is. And you can do it a lot of ways. You can just you know pick, it's random. You pick the top one and whatever that is you go with, or you can do a draft. I've seen a lot of people, that's the way I always played it with people, is you pick like three cards and then you take the one that you want the most. You put the other two at the bottom of the deck, you know? So it minimizes the randomness. But you always had that other thing to look for. And the other thing that I liked about that system is that they are like evergreen. So once you pick one of those objectives in your turn, that one stays there until you get it. Next turn, you can pick another one. And so you might have three or four of them active at the same time. And so it's not just that primary thing. It's all these other things that you're looking to get that can still contribute to your success on the, the battlefield. I hope or I wish that two things for AOS and you know, see what you think is, I wish that AOS had something like that. 
Yeah. Um, that kind of a car-driven, you know, evergreen objective thing where it's always just renewing itself. And the other thing I would hope is that somehow we can translate. And you had mentioned when we talked before that, you know, other people have talked about this. We can translate and maybe get our battle tactics into the battle plans, make them um, inherent, you know, intrinsic in our battle plans so that everybody's working off the same thing when they're playing off of that particular battle plan. Everybody's got the same set of secondaries. And so it isn't, you know, my book is awesome and your book sucks. And, you know, it's not that kind of a thing where you're going in right away going, oh, okay. It, so you don't get, you feel like you're in the game. You feel like you have that chance to score your points. Those are my thoughts for what I'm hoping. It's kind of a, it's not a prognostication because I'm not, you know, thinking this is going to happen. We're not in that section of the show. <laughs> no, but it's my opinion for what I think would benefit a change, a basic change in our, our uh, secondaries, which sure. are battle tactics now. Yeah, the thing that's really scary kind of in in what you said is that you've got these deck of cards that's specific to your faction, right? Mm. That's that's effectively what we have right now in the battle tactics and grand strategies when we mm. when we get a new battle. And those are currently one of the biggest deciding factors in the success of any individual book and tournament play. Mm. Obviously, you need to have good battle traits. You've got to have good war scrolls, right? You It all has to work together, but... And Brendan, let me just say something real quick. Now, this is the 40K guy who hasn't played 40K for a while. I want to put an asterisk on that. The, the secondary deck might be generic. So sure. each player has a generic deck, but that's here nor there. I mean, if it is that, then you're right. It's just a replication of what we have already if it was faction-specific. Yeah. Right, okay. So, and, right, there's a part of it that I don't mind. But, you know, one of the things that I, I think we have needed to explore as a competitive community is not the outright banning of book tactics, but the limitation of number mm -hmm. of book tactics that you can score in a game, you know, one or two, whatever, mm -hmm. right? Because you have, you certainly have some haves and you have some have-nots, right? Mm -hmm. In so Black Gravelords, if you construct your army in a normal manner, and what that I mean is, you know, you are taking the, the units that you would likely want to construct an army with, you know, a, a vampire, you know, some summonable units, you know, mix and match. You don't have to make big choices for all six of those tactics to be eligible for you. Mm. You have to make some different choices for them to be highly viable for you. Okay. But you don't, you don't have to make any major concessions to have all six of them be accessible. Mm. Whereas if you look at some of these other books, you have to make meaningful <laughs> decisions in regards to the construction of your list to have mm. all of those battle tactics be available to you. And in many battle tome cases, you have to have the your opponents built their list in a specific way mm. for some of those tactics to be available to you. Mm -hmm. So what what we need to shy away from, I think, is the things that are right deciding the game right now. And if if fourth edition comes out and they still have battle tactics, what I'd really like to see is a limiter on how much can be played out of the battle tome. Mm. I really like the idea of what 40k is doing with the decks. Mm. I, I think that is a very good secondary system when you compare it to right things that 
exist. Now, I have a question for you, Brendan. So one of the key things with tactics as they exist today in AOS mm -hmm. is a lot of the tactics are army construction driven. How do you feel about that? Is that it, do you think that's good or is, should we shy away from that or... You know. I, I like it. Okay. I, I really I really don't mind. And I actually think it's a good thing that the battle tactics drive you to make decisions. So okay. what you can say is I am not going to make my army in such a way to do this, but instead I gain access to this. And okay. there are times where I've sat down and said, if I include another unit of this kind, I can make this battle tactic much easier for me. But then I don't like the way that the list performs. Mm. And in in that moment, I have made a decision to forego something in exchange for something else. Okay. And for anybody who's listened to a number of our podcasts, <laughs> especially the Battle Tome Review ones, the Battle Tomes that I like the most are the ones that you are going to have to make a meaningful decision at list construction mm -hmm. to be able to to field something and be able to say to yourself or, or even to your opponent at the end of the game, I made this decision because blank. Right. And okay. the armies I don't like are the ones where you go, I took all the good stuff, I put all the good stuff on the table, it gave me access to all of the things that helped me win the game. And you're like, mm. cool, man. Super good job. Good for you. Very, yeah. <laughs> very, right. very impressed with the results. <laughs> it's a valid way to play. It's something you can totally do. But those... Those things, I think, take away from the quality of, of the game itself. Okay, sure. In, in a secondary system, I like the idea, and the, what it's, it's what Tyler Emerson has proposed, is the moving, moving the secondaries into the mission. I think that's something that's, that's really great. That's something that you know, other gaming systems use. It mm -hmm. makes each of the missions feel a little bit different. It, yes. it makes the way that the games play a little bit different. I really like the deck system. I really, I kind of like the idea of basically having all of your tactics be grand strategies, right? Where mm. you can you can tick them off as you as you go. There's some that are only going to be resolvable at the end of the game, mm -hmm. but you know, like you can come in with a big list of like we'll call them eight. And these mm. are the things that you can, you knocked one out in the first battle round, you didn't get any in the second, you had a great turn three, you knocked a bunch of them out, uh, you're yeah. scrambling four and five to get all that done. So you're I think saying, that's the direction. So you're saying being able to do multiples in the same turn. Is, sure. Is, yeah, like, okay, but, all right. But it comes off of, you know, like a big list. Okay. Like imagine if we took all of the, the battle tactics and just laid them out and said, you know, do as many of these as you can during the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever you absolutely. meet the criteria, you meet the criteria. Yep. And you know, I think there's value in making them more difficult, right? Because you know, if you have a turn where you retreat and charge two units and you keep things in the quadrants and all of your stuff charges in and you've got a unit that's in combat and you happen to have killed a unit with a spell, all right, well that's a turn where you did four mm. because none mm. of them were individually very difficult. But yeah. You know, that's that's something that I think would be interesting to see as we head into fourth. I think the large percentage of the competitive player base will tell you that that is a section of the game that needs addressing and overhauling. Mm. So I'm I'm really hopeful that Games Workshop understands and identifies that, and that they what they don't do is that they replace one problematic of the aspect of the game with another kingmaker. Right? We got sure. rid of War Scroll Battalions. That was the kingmaker in Second Edition. Yep. If your book came out, you had a great War Scroll Battalion. Congrats! You were you were going to be winning some games, <laughs> right? 
if your battle tome comes out in third and you've got three plus battle tactics that you feel pretty good about in under normal circumstances, man, you're, you're gonna be yep. you're gonna be winning some games. Yep, absolutely. Cool. And, yeah. Right. So I think that's uh, that's battle tactics. Well. <laughs> Well discussed. So the, one of the things you had listed here, I, I wanted to, I was interested in your thoughts here. It says the value of narrative stories leading up to edition changes. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? What I mean by that is the, in this case, the Dawnbringers, for those of you in 40K, you had the series of narrative books that the brand of it escapes me. You know, we had at the end of second edition, we had the Broken Realms books, mm-hmm. things of that nature. I particularly like that they advance the story in in a meaningful way. And, you know, when you get to the next edition, you know, there's there's this thing that you've been leading up to that is an inflection point and drives, you know, kind mm. of what the next edition is going to be, what it's going to yeah. focus on. The, the major characters, that part I really enjoy. The thing I really dislike about these books is that they come with rules mm-hmm. for the match play setting. And, oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's cool that they're used as opportunities to release new models and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, in in 40k, you know, we got the lion. You got a new commander, Farsight. You you got some really got Angron. You got some really cool models. On Age of Sigmar, we're getting the same thing. We're getting some really cool models. We're getting Trug. We're getting Ionis. You know, we're getting we're getting Belthanos, and We've gotten some really cool, like little foot heroes in the in the first Dawnbringers book. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'm glad we're getting new models, but I hate that all of this comes with rules mm. that do nothing but complicate the end of an edition and shape and skew the opinions that people have about their factions mm. leading up to the end of an edition. Part of that is. You know, the armies are renowned, the regiments are renowned, and I wish they would be consistent about if they're going to do this, do this throughout the entirety of the edition. Don't Mm -hmm. introduce these new mechanics right at the end that are available to a select number of people for a very short period of time. See, that that is a great point, and that's what affects me about these books. I love the books. It's cool to have the lore in there and kind of, you know, have the stories you say advance and stuff. And I'm always happy if, you know, I got Belthanos. I got, you know, as a Sylvanet player and stuff, but there's, you know, out of what, 25 factions, there's like 15 of them that didn't get anything in those three books or very little, right? And so it's really exciting because the first two books, there was a lot of Sylvanet lore. There's a lot of Alario mentioned but there was nothing in terms of models or rules or anything else. And I'm going, oh, okay, that's nice. You know, <laughs> but it, sure. it felt very disappointing from the perspective of, you know, haves and have nots in that, in that way. And I wished if they were going to do rules, and I think it's uh, some way they need to do something, they need to make it so maybe, as you just mentioned, you know, they do it throughout the entire edition and they're touching everybody. Everybody gets... To, to put their hand in the in the you know in the cookie pot cookie yeah. pie and see what they pull out because there's all these other factions going well I didn't get a character I didn't get this or I didn't get these really cool rules because and of course just like with tactics not all the regiments are renowned or created equal either <laughs> there's some that are really good and some that are just like okay I'm gonna move on the models yeah, and, are neat and those but, 
those don't have to be because the regiments of renown are available to more more armies than you know than than battle tactics. It's right. it's okay if the destruction one is better than uh, you know death one. That's mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. What what they can't have is huge levels of power disparity, yes. right? Where where something becomes an auto include because someone clearly didn't understand the word the you know versus <laughs> you know, something else. Sure. And, yeah. And they add interesting and new layers of complexity and things that things that are good. And the thing that I would, if they're going to do something like this, where they're going to release these these narrative books, I would like them to be tied to a campaign. I think if you have community mm-hmm. engagement mm-hmm. in and around the release of these books, I think that's a much better experience for everyone else. You can do it, in my mind, one of two ways. You can either do a campaign kind of like a year before or, or two years before all of this happens, and you use what happened during that campaign to shape you know, the narrative of those, of those books that are going to come out. And, and people are, are going to buy them and be like, you know, I, I wonder how Games Workshop you know, you know, told this section of, of it. And you can put your thumb on the scale. I'm not saying it's right, but you know, as... As the narrative, as as the driver, you can you can lean things a, a certain way sure. in certain spots. Why why wouldn't you want you know the the community at large telling that story? Or what you do is as these books are coming out, you have regular events at LGS or the Games Workshops itself, or events that are coming up where these kinds of rules are the ones that are encouraged to be played with because. You know, we'll call it a, a narrative event, but you don't make them match play legal. You still get the war scrolls for the models that drop and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that they that this is what you're tied to. There shouldn't have been a reason for the Iron Jaws Wave Two to be tied to a Dawnbringers release. Like, if there's a good time to to release them, then just release them. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know. So okay. I. I think that that's something that I would I would like to see differently. Or if you just go to a big book, you know, that comes out a couple of months before the edition change, where you can read all of the narrative threads all mm-hmm. together all at once. If you're not going to have any engagement, any community as part of this release, then just make it one big event mm-hmm. where you get your you get your big narrative book and you go, wow, you know, this was all the kilmo the accumulation of the things that have happened in third edition and all sure. the stories that you've got in all these different battle tomes and this is where it led and wow i wonder what comes next three months later boom next edition comes out here's what all this means here's you know here's what's changed mm-hmm. and you know here's all of it going forward what well, my last comment on that is i think that you know 40k did a really good job of that transitioning from 40k as it were to the indominus era Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the Primark came back and now we have Lionel Johnson coming back. But that whole transition from 40K as it was to the Indominus era was all woven into the game. As new codexes came out, there was always something in there that had to do with the change and what sure. what it was and, you know, narrative events and products that came out or whatever it was in the in this little series, you know, that thing that led up to Johnson coming back. There was a whole narrative series with rules and, you know, little battle plans and stuff in it. And it was just really well done and it was very seamless. Like it didn't feel like it was forced or like people had to do this. It just felt like it was part of that game. 
you know, as the addition changed. So that kind of, again, is a, an interesting model, if not one we want to follow, but it certainly was effective in, in making that transition of the story from one part to the other. So Brendan, here we go. <laughs> They're going to be talking a little bit about Old World. And I want to preface my thoughts on Old World by saying, I hope that it is successful. I hope that people enjoy playing it. I'm, my comments here aren't like, oh God, I hate Games Workshop and this is just stupid and it costs you. It's not that kind of stuff. It's just that, you know, I had some interaction on Sunday with some folks who were Warhammer Fantasy Battles people that have transitioned to, some of them were Kings of War, a couple were Conquest, a couple were Song of Ice and Fire people. They've, they've transitioned to those mm -hmm. square base kind of games. And it was interesting hearing their thoughts and their opinions about Old World coming back now. And so my some of my initial thoughts are, it just seems clunky in a way that, for, for example, so you, you buy the box, the box, and mm -hmm. whatever the price is, it is, but it's not cheap to get those boxes. They're, they're pretty expensive for the box sure. with the book, right? And if you, you can also buy the, the book on its own. You can, yes. yes, you can. But if, you, if you're coming back in, you know, also, here's the other thing. If you're coming back in, you're going to have models. Most people are going to have models laying around somewhere that they're going to use. But like, so you buy the core book. Awesome. It's got rules in it. You can play the game. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go a little further and, and learn more about your army and be able to expand uh, the options you have with that army, then you have to buy a good guy, bad guy book. Sure. Okay, so you have to buy that. So you get that going on. So you got these two books. And then if you really want to dive into some special characters and all that kind of stuff, then you have to buy the faction book. So you're going to be carrying three books around. Now, granted, you know, you can play with the core rules. I, I get that. Yep. That's fine. But it just seems... That's the word I use, clunky. You know, and the other part of this is that when I look at, like, you take a unit, whatever that unit is, and let's say it's a unit of skeletons, you know, skeleton archers. Well, the archers have a certain kind of armor. They have a certain kind of weapon. Well, if you want to know about those guys, then you're going to have to go back into the book and look at what their armor does. Then back you have into to your core book, and yes. then back into the core book in another section to find out what their weapon does. You know, and so it's just, it just seems like, wait a minute. Guys, you created Age of Sigmar that has everything on one page for this particular thing, you know? And it just, if I was looking at it again, I, was, I would be going, well, that's just a lot of work. Again, that's my perspective, having really never played Old World, you know, Warhammer Fantasy. It's like, if you're going to come out with this, you've had years to do this, by the way. You've, you've talked about doing this for a few years. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, right? You would think that there would be... And maybe part of it's nostalgic, you know, people want that book because that's the way we always did it. And that's the way we always played it. I, I'm sure they're they're feeding off of that a little bit. I know, I'm sure they are. There's no question. But it just, it just seems uncomfortable. The other piece is with the legacy and the regular armies, the way they brought it out. You know, like, hey, you can play your army, but... If you have one, if you have this half of the army, we're going to give you PDS, but we're not going to give you ongoing support. But you can still play your guys. It's cool, but just not in the tournament. But, the right, right, right. Yeah, that right. Which is ninety percent of the tournaments. Games what? Workshop is it's, it's a bunch of them, right? It's a bunch mm, of them. not I, that many, huh? I I would so think about all the tournaments that we go to, Dan. Oh sure, sure. How many of those are Games Workshop run? None. Hardly any of them. 
Right, the the only one. Right, that... I'm saying that 90% of them are not Games Workshop. Oh, right, yeah, yes, okay. yes. Agreed. right. So yes. that's not an issue. When I when they said that, I'm like, who cares? That's like nobody's gonna worry about that. It's just the whole point that oh, I got my Lizardmen, cool. I can you know use my new my new Croxagor models, cool. Yeah, but, right, that's but, a bummer. But well, no. It, it just seemed like if I was again one of those people in the in the other half, it's kind of like that old. I'm sure people, some people remember there was this old Dr. Seuss story about sneeches, and there were these creatures. Some had stars in their bellies, and some didn't have stars in their bellies. And the ones that had stars thought they were cool, you know. And the other ones were like, oh, they had to sit on a different part of the beach. And it kind of feels like that. And the other thing that the other guys mentioned, these these folks I talked to on Sunday, they were like, this just has the feel of the old thing, you know fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. They kind of got that feel from it. So they were like, no, we're, we're really comfortable where we are with these other games we've gone to. We really enjoy them. There's a community that's been built. And there were a lot of people, Brendan, who translated over and moved away. And I mean, thousands and thousands of people who went to these other systems. So, you know, the other piece of this is how successful is it really going to be? With a lot of the folks who played, you know, or with them selling to, who are they selling to? That's my other question. Who, who is this for? You know, is it for the people who are going to be nostalgic, who played it, who want to kind of dip their toe in a little bit, but they've gone to Sigmar or whatever else? So those are my thoughts on Old World as I see it coming out the, out the gate. Yeah, so um, this is not going to be an in defense of the Old World okay, um, sure. rebuttal part of it. Because no, no. I, no. I, I will completely agree with you. The the elements of the way that it works is is very clunky. You know, I have my I still have my eighth edition rulebook because um, it's because it's got some good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have oh, a yeah. couple of older fantasy. We'll call them battle tomes for the sake of for the sake of understanding, because you know they had some cool lore in it, or I'm particularly attached to a couple of them. When I made the move, I, I picked out a couple that I really liked, and I was like, the rest of these are. They don't really mean anything to me, so we're gonna we're gonna donate them. And totally agree, right? Two hundred plus pages of rules, very difficult. <laughs> I'll be the first to tell you that Warhammer Fantasy and you know subsequently now Old World are not games for beginners. Mm-hmm. This is like it is a my getting into Warhammer Fantasy was effectively at the support and courtesy of my clubmates because. Small games of Warhammer Fantasy Battles did not work. Okay. They like, I think they did a better job of it in the old world, where like if you get to a thousand points, like you can like you can play a, a game and it and it scales reasonably. Okay, but you needed a full two thousand two hundred and fifty point Warhammer Fantasy Battle army to play Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and if you had eighteen hundred points, like sorry, bud, like that. Sure. You know that game didn't play right. As weird as that might sound to people who understand, you know, what modern 40k and what modern Age of Sigmar looks like. Sure, Age of Sigmar starts to lose some scale at a thousand points, where some things mm-hmm. can be outsized and, and function kind of weirdly. But like, I'll tell you, there was nothing dumber than a level four wizard in Warhammer Fantasy Battles at a thousand points who would just destroy their army by themselves <laughs> and like. <laughs> Because you couldn't, and you very likely didn't have access to something to counter that. Okay. It's the way that army construction worked and, and things like that. Okay. As far as the degree of difficulty in referencing things back and forth, right, if the comparison is Age of Sigmar, 
yeah, forget it. Like, right. But if the comparison is other game systems, 40K has that, right? You know, Armor Bane and things like that in oh, 40K right. aren't, aren't on the data slate. You have to go back into what the book says. Right. And you have to know what that means, right? Those universal rules. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what a lot of Warhammer fantasy about now the old world is. It's more direct comparison is Horse Heresy. Mm-hmm. If you're going to compare Games Workshop games to each other, Heresy and the old world are your most compatible oh, okay. uh, look acrosses, where yeah. you have the ability to change your army based on selecting something different here or there. There are different limitations, and the way you go about it is is different, but the degree of complication is most similar between those two games, where you, know, you give all of your Space Marines you know, chain bayonets. Cool. You give all of your Empire handgunners an extra bag of gunpowder for another point. Like right. I, yeah. I don't know that those, but those right. are the examples. I understand right? perfectly, yep, yep. And you get to like some really granular list building. The the thing where this game gets really different from any of its other equivalents in the Games Workshop system is when you start talking about how important movement is in the game. And mm. movement is very important in 40K. It's very important in, Age of, in AOS. It's very important in Heresy. The difference is, is those are all 360-degree facing units with the exception of tanks in 40K, but mm-hmm. even then they pivot on the spot and it doesn't cost them anything unless you're a mover shoot weapons platform and i don't know how that rule works anymore (laughs) but you have three or four different kinds of way that your troops are organized it means different things for how they move it means different things for what they can do when they can do it how they Mm -hmm. can do it how you know how it interacts with your opponent and what formation they're in that's where it gets really complicated this is not a game for beginners but i think the audience for this game isn't necessarily those who are nostalgic because those people will will pick up those books like myself but my buy plan is basically the books and maybe Mm. some units here or there to fill out units that i buy as a 16 year old (laughs) or replace and update some models that weren't very good or you know get some stuff 3d printed i think the audience for this game is more total war warhammer and oh sure the thing that I think they really missed on in targeting to that audience is at release not having some of the main Total War factions, primarily like a Kislev or a Cathay, mm-hmm. because I'm I'm okay with them saying that, hey, here are these PDF factions. They're not the focus of what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. I think, and I can't speak speak to what they intended or how they intend to do it, I would be very surprised if none of those factions got any support forever. Mm. I would say when second edition, the old world rolls around, that you would potentially expand it out. But to say to somebody, you know, hey, all these armies are good, and to make them wait on pins and needles for five plus years and get nothing, I don't think that that's fair. We've known for a very long time, almost a year at this point, that the game was focusing on these factions. Mm -hmm. That should have come as no surprise to anybody. You know, it it was surprising to say that, like, hey, this is not our focus and we're not working on this. I would be pretty surprised if those factions got nothing forever. Right. I know. It might be a long long time. (laughs) Um, Yeah. They were talking about the map, which is just beautiful, of course. Mm -hmm. But they had talked about places that are 
blank, you know, like the Kislev area or the cafe stuff. Yeah. Or this area where they can end up filling in in the future. And so that kind of refers to what you're talking about with that part of it. I One of the things that, I mean, I'm, I'm more hopeful for than the game, which, which I won't engage in unless somebody gives me some models to play, you know, that kind of thing, yeah, is sure. the lore, is re, reinvigorating the lore. And I know Graham McNeil has already wrote a book, has already written, wrote, has already written a book, and it's boom, we're going to talk about it in uh, Scriptorium. But that's really exciting for me because I'm hoping that what they will do is bring back some characters and some other things from the lore because I always love the lore. It'll be fun to see how they re-engage from that perspective with the authors and, and those kind of things. And that's what I'm looking forward to most from Old World, yeah. that half of so the hobby. One of, one of the good and bad things is this is a historical game mm-hmm. in the sense that this game takes place in a very specific moment in time mm-hmm. in the Old World. So there's a number of characters that just don't exist yet. Yes, so there, there will be some old characters who are kind of timeless. You know, the mm. one of which is right, Cetra. Cetra is imperishable. So you know, you're gonna, you're gonna see Cetra, but all of the modern human characters don't exist. You know, this mm. is this takes place a couple hundred years before, mm-hmm. you know, when Warhammer Fantasy Battle when it left. You know, there might be some elf characters, there might be some dwarf characters that are still around in that period of time, but. None of the Bretonian characters that are mortal, right? Mm-hmm. Green Knight is immortal, exist. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Gives us some all new opportunities. But what it really does is it lets those characters that are only mentioned in the lore come to the table and and take center stage, a lot like the Horus Heresy, right? You have mm-hmm. so many characters that play a meaningful and pivotal role in Horus Heresy that obviously died. <laughs> In the horse, <laughs> sure, sure. That you can't play in 40k, and so right, right, you know, right. we step back to those characters that were in the lore, and, and mm-hmm. we get to and we get to play them. So yeah, or you get to play young versions of the characters sure. that get, that you know yeah. in the modern setting, and that's right. that's going to be pretty cool to see. It's going to be really cool what direction they go with that. As far as like the extra book, the Vince calls them the expandopedias, right? Mm-hmm. So the books that are super narrative focused that unlock your your name characters and your special army constructions. That's the, I actually really I actually really like those. Those are the arcane journals, isn't that what they're called? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I I really like those being structured the way that they are because okay. if you buy your bad guys book and you're flipping through and you're like Slaves of Darkness is cool, I got some, or the Warriors of Chaos, I've got a Slaves of Darkness army, you know I can play it, but like I don't want to get too invested in it, but you play for a little while and you're like, you know what? I really like this. I want to dig in more. Mm -hmm. You had access to all those points and all those rules and everything with the purchase that you made for, say, Tomb Kings, because they're both in the bad guys section. Sure. It, you know, you got all of this extra information for free, right? You paid for all of it. Of course. Um, Now the only thing that unlocks is a couple of different army construction opportunities and some special characters that, you know, you might like. And chances are it's somewhere available on the internet for free. Um, Okay. This is the way that the world works. I'm excited about it. It's a game that I, I loved. It's, it is not without flaws, even in its presented states. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that as I've been consuming all of this material about this game They've really taken a lot of elements from like older edition Warhammer Fantasy Battle, some Middle Earth Strategy Battle game, 
you know, a little bit from 40K and AOS and Heresy and, you know, and just kind of the way mm-hmm. that some things work and the way that some things feel. And they and they put it into this game and got rid of a lot of the feels-bad opportunities that occurred in 8th edition. And that was one of the most frustrating things about that game was you could just get railroaded into mm-hmm. a situation that just sucked. Like level uh, four wizards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I don't even mean that. It more came along with, like, movements and the way that okay. like people people would set things up and do certain things you're like yeah i can't do anything about this oh nothing sure. you're like yeah i can't move within an inch of you and you have this unit set up this way so i can't even charge you now yeah there was some there was some stuff that was left some real bad taste in your mouth okay. it, it, Fair. it was just rough so i'm excited for it i'm really hopeful that it continues to get I don't want to say regular support because I think that's too much to ask, but if it gets heresy level support mm-hmm. where you get some new stuff every little bit, every once in a while, cool. You know, if we get a couple of our, if, I mean, if we get all of the arcane journals by the end of 2024, I mean, we're, we're in great shape. Yeah. That'd be awesome. But I don't see that necessarily happening, but if you just get some regular stuff, I, I think it'll be a game that does pretty all right. Okay, cool. So we're really not too far off. Just different approaches, different thoughts about... I'm, I'm more optimistic yeah. than you are. Yeah, yeah. Good enough. And I'm more just wary. Not, sure. Not negative at all, but... Okay. So the last thing we're going to talk about here in opinions is kind of goals for us in terms of events and hobby and stuff like that. You want to start us off on that? Yeah. So for 2024... What I wanted for both Dan and I to discuss are, you know, kind of what our hobby goals look like, both in Mm -hmm. terms of, you know, maybe what we work on, maybe something that we'd like to achieve, both in hobby stuff and then also like in event settings. So for me, one of the things I'd really like to do is I would like to get one 2000 point army up to a kind of like a best painted quality level. Okay. You know, I, I won one best painted back in. 2017 2018 something like that okay you know thrilled to pieces i won an armies on parade thrilled to pieces i think i painted a pretty reasonable level yeah but i've oh, not yeah. really i've not really pushed myself to you know paint a whole army at that level in a very very long time okay i've gotten a couple of good starts in terms of thousand point armies that we start with you know the adepticon things for teams yes and i would I would like to get one to a level where I can show up to an event and be like, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a chance to, to if I'm not going to win this, finish top three. Mm-hmm. So okay. from a, from a hobby perspective, that's, that's one of my goals for 2024. Cool. I think my hobby goal is to work on a couple of armies. Like, so winning, you know, second place at Dragonfall was for me, that was a real Zenith in terms of hobby. I just was so honored and and so humbled by that. It just was amazing because it was so unexpected, you know, Yeah. with 70 armies there, 60 armies, whatever it was. So in terms of winning something for hobby now, that's kind of the other side. But what I want to do is I want to get my corn army up and ready. And I'm trying really hard to, I want to maintain that quality that I've built into my Sylvaneth. I want to maintain the, you know, thematic piece of it in terms of the basing and the colors and all those things to be consistent and make it look like a coherent 
visually coherent force. Right. So I'm, I'm hoping to do that with my my corn army. And then I've got this mystery army that's out there, kind of wherever in the ether. And that's the other piece of this. You know, my goal for that is maybe in the fall, if there's a couple RTTs or maybe even Dragonfall, if I get it to the point where it's, you know, but that's fall. The other sure. thing that affects all this and... Well, we'll talk about that when we talk about events. But um, yeah, so that's kind of my hobby goal is I've got two armies that I want to continue to paint at quality. And so work on that this year. So I got 12 months. So six months for one, six months for the other. It seems like a reasonable (laughs) amount of time. Yeah, you say that and then it turns into your Sylvaneth collection where, you know, you've got, (laughs) you know, doubles or triples of everything. It's true. You know, someone says you want a game and you, and you say, what do you want to play against? They go, oh, whatever. And you go, no, no, you have to be more specific, please. <laughs> yeah, it's like I have three units of tree revs. I've never put three units of tree revs in a list, right? But I got them. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. So yeah. in terms of events, what are your, I mean, we know what you're planning on, but do you have any like overall goals that you want to meet? Yeah, so that's that's really tough. This is the, the section where, you know, as you talk about what, what I want to do at events because like I made it to worlds. I don't really have any huge motivation to make it a priority to go back. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I do cool, if I don't also cool. Okay. Uh, It was a, it was a long four or five days that like, it was fine. Well, that could easily be a once in a lifetime thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I still probably am going to pursue a lot of the things in a very similar way where I pick a, an event or two that like I really want to go all out and mm. you know, see if I can if I can win it. But I really think I'd like to prioritize this year running the stuff that I really like. And mm-hmm. I got I got to do a lot of that in 2023. You know, the Soul Blight, right? The 260 zombies wasn't maybe my favorite way to play it, but. <laughs> You know, I, I really enjoy that book. I really still do. Oceark Bone Reapers is my favorite army in the game. Sure. Uh, I, I backdoored my way into an event win with that one. Really enjoy Sylvaneth. Got to play that at the tournament. You know, mm-hmm. did reasonably well with it. But I, I would like to focus in more on maybe not going wide, right, with the mm-hmm. play experience, but really going more narrow with the things that I particularly enjoy. Okay. I, I really like the Ogre Maw Tribes book. You yeah. know, maybe spending some time with that. Obviously, we'll see what comes out with 4th edition. Maybe with 4th edition, when it comes out, I'm just going to say to myself, I'm just going to play this army until you know the next handbook rolls around or, sure. or whatever. But I, I would really like for my play experience to be focused in more exclusively on the things that I enjoy and just doing the best that I can with them because that's when I've had the most fun with this game is taking the stuff that I really like and then trying to tune it to the highest level I can. And sometimes the game swings around to meet you where you are and then it breaks it off and brings it to 11 and, and that kind of stuff. But okay. I'd like to focus more in on the stuff that I, I find interesting. Okay, fair. I think for me it's to kind of set some milestone markers for 
That's redundant, milestone market. Anyway, set okay. some milestones in events that I want really to prioritize going to. So I want to get to Meltdown again, assuming that's going to happen. I want to get to Dragonfall again. I want to get to RockCon again. So if I can get to those three things this year in terms of you know larger events, I'll be very happy that that's my schedule. The other thing that really affects all of this is the fact that we're RVers now. I mean, that's huge because yeah. we've got, you know, in April is our first big trip. We're heading out to, you know, south to the Badlands. It's going to be like a two-week trip in April. So that kind of, I won't be able to do much except maybe an RTT early in the month. But in terms of major events or traveling for major events, it's just like... Uh, I, so much of our time is going to be taken up because the only time that we're not RVing is like November through March for winter. Although we may end up because one of our guys has moved to Florida. So we may make an excuse to go down there in the winter. Sure. Right? But we've got those months and then August because it's too damn hot. We, we RV'd our, I think our second trip, it was like 95 or hundred degrees. When we Oof. got to the campsite, it was like, we are never doing this again ever. Hard pass. Yeah. So that leaves us like six months you know, when we're not RVing and the RTTs work fine. And I, I, again, I said it before, but I really appreciate the fact that Dave has initiated this because that is such a great quick hit. You know, oh, I haven't played Sigmar in a couple months. Boom, I can get a whole day of it in with people I know. And it's awesome. Um, but there's also, you know, other local events that maybe I can get to, but I'm not going to prioritize those. You know, mm -hmm. the RTTs definitely, if there isn't something else going on, I, I really want to commit to that if, I, if I'm able to make it. But that's kind of in terms of event, you know, attendance, in terms of competitive stuff. Like, obviously, Adepticon goes without saying for both of us. I mean, that's just what it is. Right. But that's not really you know, competitive event per se, it's, it is Adepticon. It's its own thing, even though there's competitive pieces there. Sure. Um, you're playing in about 10 different events that have <laughs> in, in many cases, the concept of salesmanship in about half of them is the, is the priority <laughs> of the people running it because they, they want to get you to play it. It's, yeah, a, sure. it's an intro game. And, sure. You know, if you like it, you'll, you'll buy some models and do that. Yeah. Or in the case of, some of the other things that you're looking at, they're they're more show pieces, right? You mm -hmm. know, all of the beaches of the Normandy landing, like you know, that is that is for like the hardcore player, right? Who's you know, their stuff is that's all like that. That's all they focus on. Yeah, you know, it's a lot yeah. like our friends who do the uh, the big old Space Hulk game. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right? yep. If someone wants to play that competitively, they are welcome to. Right? Yeah, no sure. one is no one like no one is going to stop them. But <laughs> yeah. that's. That's not why that team is at that convention. No, not at all. So. It's because they have because they have a love for doing it. They really have a passion for putting it together and making it better every year. And, and that's really cool that they do that. That's really my goals is those three major events. And then whenever I get the chance with this other piece of my life coming in. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, any Anything else for 2024 you want to put a flag in the ground on? I, I don't think so. That's probably enough. Um, maybe as we, you know, as we, maybe we'll have this conversation again in six months, and we'll say, "Oh yeah, I, I oh, plan on that." Now look at the same models that are painted really nice, and be like, "Sweet, yeah, I've got a thousand points to go still." Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, man. I think that's it for that one, though. I think that is it for our opinion piece. We're gonna take a short break, and then we're gonna come back with our prognostications. predictions, prognostications. Yet we'll be right back. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. 
So Brendan, it's time for some predictions. And the first one is kind of, I just threw this one in last minute, but I think a lot of people have seen the new Spearhead box for Stormcast. Pretty cool, actually. Pretty cool models yep. and stuff. I kind of wonder if this is going to be our version of Combat Patrol. I wonder if AOS... It feels it, obvious. Yes, right? it, it does, doesn't it? But <laughs> you know GW sometimes. <laughs> but that's my prediction, is that you know every faction is going to end up with... I mean, and from a product perspective, isn't that great? Man, every faction gets a Combat Patrol box. Like, boom, they can sell a bunch of those. And hopefully, just like in 40K, you know, there'll be roughly equivalent point-wise and otherwise, and so people can just say, hey, I want to throw down for a quick game. I'm going to buy one box of stuff, even if it's not... And I think it's it would be neat if it was, because that would allow you to dip your toe into factions that you're never going to play otherwise, right? Sure. And, and I think that's a cool way to, to sell stuff to people who aren't going to have five armies or six armies or whatever it is. But that's my thought about Spearhead. What do you think about it? I think the same thing. It's gonna be it's gonna be the same thing as Kill Team. I wonder if they're like building a whole game around it. Like Kill Team has, mm -hmm. you know, a, a whole system. Oh yeah, sure, it. sure. You know, triangle, three blue dots, square. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that's why I think it might be a little more like Combat Patrol because Combat Patrol has a number of points, but it uses 40k rules. You know, so this would be it has it's like a mini force using Sigma rules. Mm. You're that kind of a thing. So when you can just throw down and, and play it. So you can have like five of these and like, oh, I never thought I'd play Ideneth, but yeah. Uh, so that's just the first one. The next AOS Battle Tome was the next thing we have down here. Your thoughts? So I, I think there is no next AOS Battle Tome here in third edition. I, I think we're done. Okay. I, mm -hmm. I think from here on out, it's just going to be, I think, the two Dawnbringer books that we know about, fourth edition will roll over, and we'll get a, we'll get a starter box. So if we're going to extend it to that, right, the starter box is going to be Stormcast. And what we've seen in really first edition doesn't count. But in second and third edition, they've introduced a brand new army in the starter box. Uh -huh. You could argue that Night Haunt isn't brand new because three War Scrolls existed that were technically Night Haunt. And I would tell you, you're a liar. That's that. <laughs> That army, that army didn't exist. They sure. they managed to take three models and make an army out of it. Mm. The launch into third edition, we got the the new cruel boys, right? Uh, cruel boys, right? And the cycle has gone chaos, death, destruction. We're gonna get a. I think it's gonna come back around. I think we're gonna get a chaos army. I think we're gonna get a new chaos army. I think mm. we're gonna get a chaos army that doesn't exist currently in the game. Or if it does, like what I mean by that could potentially be like. Where cruel boys were tacked on to war clans. Mm. Like you could get conceivably like a slaves to darkness army, but it's not like slaves to darkness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if that's where they wanted to pack, say something like chaos dwarves into, into it, they could, they could put it somewhere like that. But I, I think we're going to get a completely brand new army. I don't think this is going to be new sculpts of an existing army. I know Skaven is very popular on the suggestion mm -hmm. wheel. I think we're going to get something completely new. I would like to think that this is going to be a Malekith thing. I would really like to think mm. that. I don't know. And it, it doesn't fit because, you know, it would very much... Is it pointing that way yet? Well, you know, and like it it would, it would doesn't line up from your, you know, description because Daughters are Order. 
So you would think that Malekith, because they're kind of like dark elves, you know? So you would think that Malekith would be the, the dark side of order, but he could fit in somewhere else too. And, and I just, I don't know that it's pointing that way. It's just when you kind of read around the edges and some of the things we've seen, I think it would, that's, I guess it's as much a hope as it is a prediction for me, but I would like to see that be the army that faces off against Stormcast in the new box. That would be in the new edition. Very, sure. very cool. That would be very, it'd be very different too. Yeah, which would, you know, add that interest and everything else. And it would be a completely new faction. That would be... That would be awesome. So yeah, so we're gonna have fourth edition. We're gonna have a new GHB. We're gonna have a new faction, probably. Very, very likely we're both thinking. One of the things that I'm, again, I think these are hopes as much as prognostications, but I talked to you a little bit offline about, you know, I went through my um, Flesh Eater Quartz box and it had, as you had mentioned to me, because I thought it was the first box that had it, the first faction, these, you know, the Allegiance Ability Enhancement cards. Yeah. And man, that is just such a great thing. It just unbelievable. So what I'm hoping and I'm going to predict <laughs> is that, you know, in the next six months or whatever it is, that every faction, they come out with a set of them for something, you know, come out with a chaos set, come out with a, you know an order set of these things or something. Um, so all the order factions that don't have them would get one of these card boxes and that kind of thing. I think that would be really, really cool. I mean, it would be something to get us over to get ready for fourth edition. I think that'd be really neat because as you said, no new battle tomes because they're all updated now. So let's make sure that everybody has that little tool that they need. So all you'll need from now on, I'm not seeing this of course, <coughs> All you need now is War Scroll card box and a box of Allegiance Ability Enhancement cards, and you can play the game. <laughs> I mean, so do you think that we're going to get like what happened with 40K, where 10th edition rolled around and there were new data slates for everything right at launch? Yeah, I kind of wonder that. I think that's a, a really, really good question. I think it would be helpful because we have all these um, Battle Scrolls sitting out there. We have all these FAQs sitting out there. And a lot of those things have changed fundamentally. You know, specific things within almost every army have been affected by those. So I don't see that it would be, you know, and there, again, there are going to be people that are going to go, oh, I already got War Scroll cards. I just made pen and ink changes and stuff like that. Well, fine. That's cool. But do I think they might come out with that? Yeah, I think they might do that as well. And maybe they're going to sell them in sets. You know, maybe it'll be a card set for the Allegiance abilities and War Scroll cards for that faction and make it little kits, you know, in a blister or something. That would be a really cool, I think they would sell a bazillion of those if they did. I know they'd sell like three for me. <laughs> I'd buy three different ones. Sure. You know, so I, yeah, I think that was something they should do if they're not going to do it. I think that that's important. Old world performance. So that's one of the things we have listed here for, for uh, predictions here. I'm gonna be a little more on the cautious side and I'm gonna say, I don't think this is going to be the giant seller that a lot of people think it's going to be. That is just my prognosis. I think sure. I think it will sell. The question is, is it going to sell to the level that GW wants it to sell? You know, their business, as always, we say this, you know, we don't know what their expectations are, but given all the dynamics we already discussed when we talked about opinions, I do wonder if there's going to be enough critical mass 
of people investing in the product to meet their expectations. I don't know. I kind of I kind of wonder what that expectation is though because mm-hmm. part of the reason that they got rid of Warhammer Fantasy Battles was was the performance of the game. Yeah. It was terrible. Yes. And this is something that Vince was telling me cuz I you know I, I wasn't as tuned into some of this like it had fall Warhammer Fantasy Battles was no longer even top 5 best performing game in category not at games workshop globally right one wow. of the jokes is that space marines outsold warhammer fantasy battles Jeez. this this is a game that at the time that it died that's what happened the game ended that its performance as a product was completely unacceptable mm-hmm. and i'm sure that's due to a lot of things but at the end of the day it's because people were not buying models mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I think will potentially hurt it is if we have to buy all of these models that are older than me in some cases. <laughs> They're um, just plastic now, right? Instead of <laughs> right, yeah. It, like some of some of these sculpts are older than I am, and if that's the game that you're building on, when you go into a games workshop and you look at all of the models that are, mm. or your local gaming store, you look at all the models that are available, you know, and you look, like the, the big things, right? You've got the 40K wall or the 40K aisle, and for the most part, it's relatively new stuff. You know, there, there are some older things, right? Every, every one of these games has them. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, modern, right? 3D sculpting tools, modern molding techniques. You go down the Age of Sigma aisle, same thing, bold, different Mm -hmm. takes on you know some real classic fantasy ideas you get down to the specialist game side of things you know you've got your kill team you've got your necromunda Mm -hmm. and again our like for like comparator horus heresy darn near everything and horus heresy is new the stuff that is old is from forge world Mm -hmm. if this game isn't going to perform to whatever the internal expectation that they've set Mm -hmm. it is going to be because of the product that they are selling and i don't mean that necessarily as the rules Mm -hmm. i mean that as the models yes i'm i'm glad and thrilled and excited that like damn near everything sold out yeah like right away that's cool that's great that's awesome but we don't know how much they made this i was just gonna say that if they didn't make enough okay so that doesn't mean anything right yeah yeah was was it sold out because you know you produced a bunch and then just demand outstrip supply or did you produce whatever it was that you were going to produce and one more person than you thought was going to buy it bought it we, we know it's not right. quite that case because right. Right. a lot of people went looking for it and it wasn't there or did you make six of them um <laughs> Right. And a hundred people wanted it, right? And so then it then it seems like a lot of people want it. I I don't know. I'm not so cynical as to believe that no. you know they no. they made like eight of them, right? And right. That's the way it's going to go. You know, but, one of the things when you talk about models, I was having this discussion. You know, on Sunday we were talking about the the Tomb King skeletons. You know, and those are one of the ancient models you're talking about. Those things are just like they look from like they're from the 1980s, right? Because they are. Yeah. And he was talking to a friend who is considering getting them. He goes, his friend goes, I'm just going to buy Soulblight Gravelord skeletons and put them on square bases. Sure. He goes, because they look 
a thousand percent better. They're just really good looking skellies. And he goes, I'm not gonna put those junky things. They just look horrible, right? And you can buy bases. That's one of the things that they have now. You know, these big packs of bases yeah, so you the, can convert. The price, the price on them, oh is, my oh God. No, it's like a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, we won't talk. We won't talk price because we could dive into that $2 rabbit hole. a base. <laughs> it's like, ah. <laughs> anyway. A hundred bases um, for 50 bucks. Yeah. Sorry, 50 cents a base. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I mean, I I hope they do okay. You know, I'm not going to yeah. hate on I, that I, at all. I don't, I don't think the expectation can be set very high for this game. And I, no. I think it has to be set even lower than Horace Heresy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you if you wanted to think about, you know, who is the market for Her Horus Heresy for, right? Just like AOS, or just like 40K, there's very little crossover with Heresy, same as AOS mm -hmm. to Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Mm -hmm. If you want to see these a Sigmar army, congratulations, you hit the jackpot. Yeah. You know, a lot, of, a lot of your stuff can be played in Sigmar and Fantasy, and they're the right size where you can do, like, square-to-circle conversions, and it works. Awesome, congratulations, you are, you are in great shape. But if you play anything else... Right. It's a little bit a little bit tougher. Horus Heresy has had this ongoing narrative storyline for gosh, I I bought Horus Rising in high school. Yeah. 15, 16 years that, that this story has been going on that they've mm -hmm. built these characters for. And mm -hmm. you, when you think Games Workshop, you think Space Marine. Sure. Right? It's it's a, it's the game of Space sure. Marines. Sure. Everybody owns a Space Marine army, Dan. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Or they have Space uh, Marine models on their shelves that they painted, even if it's not a whole army. I know I have half a dozen here. Sure. You know, that I still keep. But, All right. Well, we will see. Again. Sorry, I'm, I'm just going to I'm gonna no, finish this. No, please. So, please. The, so, like, the performance of Horus Heresy is not equivalent to 40K. It, it's mm -hmm. not. No. It is a much more niche game. It is much more expensive. And the performance of it is clearly lower than 40K. The performance of it versus Age of Sigmar, I would also imagine to be lower oh, yeah. because of the cost, because of how niche it is, because of how complicated the rules are. And right? So that's, that's, that sits of the quote-unquote big games, Horus Heresy, squarely in third. Well, and here's the other piece about Old World too: There is significant competition now in place that was not mm -hmm. in place. You have Kings, you have Conquest, you have Song of Ice and Fire. And if you take those three groups of people, those three communities, you know, cumulatively, it's a massive amount of people that play those other systems that Warhammer fantasy battles didn't have to compete against before. So that's sure. something else to think about in terms of who's going to come back or who's going to play now, you know, for your, your terms of, you know, setting expectations. What are they? Having that competition in the world now is like, oh, okay, we're not, we're not the only hamburger stand in the corner, right? Yeah, yeah, and and so I, I think the expectation has to be placed pretty low. Okay. I think that this, if it does half of what Age of Sigmar does, mm -hmm. you'd be thrilled to pieces. Sure. Like, is that it for Old World? Then is there anything else you wanted to? Any other thoughts? As far as how it'll do, no, that's that's probably it. Okay. You know, it was interesting to see that the fifty person event at Adepticon sold out right away. Mm -hmm. I wonder if those are ninth age people converting back to the system. Are these, you know, like who are these people basically, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that'll be pretty telling of what the, 
you know, what the market is for yeah. for the player. It'll be interesting because it's a few months out to walk around and see who the people are playing it and what they're playing. You know what the models are on the table. That'll be fascinating, just yeah. as a as a benchmark for for everything. All right, I think the last thing there might be a couple of those, but is each of our biggest hopes for twenty twenty four. I think my biggest hope is that when fourth edition comes out, it it recaptures the esoteric thing that I feel like third edition lost in this game for me. I think it is inarguable that third edition is the most balanced version of Age of Sigmar and subsequent Games Workshop fantasy games that, that there mm-hmm. ever has been. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is an objectively good thing. But I will also tell you that basically throughout all of third edition, this is the least fun I've had playing Warhammer mm-hmm. ever. You have said that many times, yep. And and I wish I could tell you that like it's this one thing that is just pissing me off and <laughs> and the reason and like and the reason why that I just don't enjoy it as much. Mm. So I'm I'm really hoping with an edition reset that whatever thing that made me feel like I enjoyed first and second edition so much, whatever that element is, comes back. You know, so I'm I'm really looking forward to to the edition edition change more for my interests because, you know, if if not, right, Games Workshop has come out with this other game that I love to pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I I loved Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I yeah. love the level of complexity. I I love that there were you know, back when I was, uh, you know, high school or college, that I played Beastmen and Beastmen were terrible. I, yeah. I mean, just awful. <laughs> and you didn't get regular balance updates. So what you got is what you had, and you had to figure out how to make it work. Sure. I love finding just weird, squirrely ways to, to win games and fight it out to the last. And I'll tell you, I lost a lot. But I enjoyed that, like that game immensely and if i have those competing interests i don't know that i'm not going to play the game that i enjoy more more regardless of the number of armies and collections on my wall versus the two warhammer fantasy battle armies that were painted by a child (laughs) sure you know like and, and that's like that'll be a little sad to me right because you know you you have to spend the time and energy on things that you really like you know so I'm I'm really hoping that that fourth edition will will present a new opportunity to to enjoy the game in a different way. Okay, cool. So for me, I think my hope, my biggest hope, is that I can maintain interest and kind of self discipline in terms of just the hobby in general. You know, I I love doing this podcast with you. Everybody knows that. It's just. It's fun. It's great, especially for mm-hmm. somebody who's retired. You know, this is a great way to stay in touch with things and and feel active and participating and stuff. But there's all these other things now in my life that I didn't expect to have. Sure. Uh, and you know, it still takes both of our times. You know, and we've talked to the the listeners before about life changes and all those other things. So I'm hoping that we can still do this. That's my biggest hope. We can still do this podcast. I'm hoping that we can, that I can still move forward with these other hobby projects, you know, these other two armies that I have and and stay disciplined enough and interested enough with everything else going on around me uh, that 
I can continue to make progress, that I continue to get to the point where I can play these armies on a table. You know, and that's one of the things I love about having a, a monthly RTT. Once I finish these things, I don't have to wait for a big event to take them. You know, and obviously there are people who will play here. Yeah. We've got a community. I know there are people who would say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll throw down for you with your new whatever it is. It's just trying to prioritize this because it's important. You know, just the whole Warhammer thing uh, is important in, in the people I know. And again, being active, wanting to stay active is really important. And so that's my biggest hope is that I continue to do that. We can continue yeah. to do this. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Anything else? I think that's what was on the list, but... Yeah, that's that's what I see. Okay. Well, listeners, there you go. <laughs> you know how we feel now about stuff <laughs> and what we're hoping for. Yeah. Brendan, it is time to move on to that next part of the show where we talk about books and stuff. Etc. 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 So Brendan's Scriptorium time, and we have a few new releases. I'm going to save the last, the best one I think for last. We have Shaman Slayer, which is the 11th, wow, Gotrek and Felix book. So Coolio, for those who are interested in such things. And it, it, if you're into old worlds, you might want to check that series out if you haven't yet, because every single faction in that whole game was in one of their stories at one time or another. Sons of the Emperor is a Primarchs compendium. I think there's seven or eight stories of different Primarchs. Then Fall of Empires is an End Times book, which again is a compendium of six or seven stories. Mm-hmm. So for those interested in such things. But in keeping with the new Old World release, Graham McNeil has written a book called Lords of the Lance. So looks pretty interesting. Obviously a Bretonian-based thing. Graham's pretty reliable in terms of the quality of his books. So I'm really thinking of at some point listening to that. So that's new stuff. Well, and you obviously saw going up for pre-order on Saturday is the third book. Yeah, well, I have I have some comment about that. Okay. We'll get to that when I get to my reads. <laughs> End of the Death Part 3. Yes. Awesome. Yep. All right. What else you got? What have you been doing? I've watched a lot of things. So oh, okay. Went went to an actual movie theater. Oh. Uh, we went to Bargain Tuesdays or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We saw the rom com Anyone But You. Oh, hilarious! It was it was both both Katie and I felt that it was way funnier. Okay. Than, than we were expecting, right? And it's it's a rom com, so you're you're expecting some humor and, sure. and things like that. Sure. Great. It was it was a fantastic movie. Okay sweet very silly like oh. just some just some good stuff great that's great i'm in the process of rewatching all the john wick movies because <sighs> one two and three are on netflix yes and then four is on like stars or something like yeah. that yeah, yeah. We, I, we've ended up with a subscription of it somehow um so in the in the process oh, yeah. of that i watched a netflix documentary called Trainwreck about woodstock 99 <laughs> Well, that was a. Uh, yeah, it's like three hours. You know, that was yeah. it was fun. Yeah, uh, it was super messed up. <laughs> and we're in the process of watching on Max Curious Tate, the Curious Case of uh, Natalia Grace, which is mm. some people will remember this from the news. Um, it was the case of a. It was in Indiana. It was a case of a person who wasn't they. You know, they were claiming wasn't the age of 
you know, the kid that they adopted, you know, they, they claimed to have, like, the adoption agency said that she was six, but there were some things that, like, didn't match up with that, and there were some behaviors that didn't match up with that, but, mm. the like, the longer the show goes on, the more you're like, what is true here? Like, this is, no. this is, what is this? You know, so some of it's the kid, and some of it's the situation, and some of it's the parents, and sure. they have, it's not quite like the main narrator, but they have a person that they jump back to a lot in the interview process who is a lawyer and is explaining to you, like, why some of these things, you know, like, are curious and how that seems mm-hmm. a little bit strange that it landed exactly here mm-hmm. and why, like, and why did, you know, this happen then? And that's pretty cool. One of the things that was super weird about it was all of this was happening in Indiana while I was living in the state. And there was a there was a period of time that they had gotten this little person, her own apartment in Lafayette, Indiana. And I was like, I was was like, this was happening like while I was in school, like across the river. So you knew where this place was. Yeah. Oh, God, Uh, that's kind of weird. All of the places that they're talking about. I'm like, yep, I know where that is. Like, yep, I know where that is. Like. And that's that's weird. So that's been super weird. And then, as far as listens go, I started um, the Robert E. Lee audiobook. I, I mm-hmm. think it's the one that you were listening to. It's yes. uh, the A Life or whatever. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Doing doing what you did a couple of years ago and doing the listening to some amount of balance of side, right mm-hmm. of the two of two of the main discerning characters of the Civil War. I'm about halfway through it, and boy. <sighs> There's a there's a whole lot less empathy you can have for this character. Yes. And the life he lived and what yes. was available to him and what he chose to do. And, and it's just like that's it, Brendan. It's choices. Mm-hmm. The choices he made. Yep. Yeah, like yep. you know, he he had the opportunity to do a lot of different things. And, you know, I get it, like he also came from like a weird family background mm-hmm. and you know had had some opportunities but like at every step he chooses to just be the most conservative and i mean that in like a risk-based mm-hmm. method the most yep. conservative thinker possible doing the safest thing available and mm-hmm. and making no risk in his life and you know the guiding factor that that they keep reaching back to is he just wants to be independent like he he wants to be tied to mm-hmm. No man and nothing else, and you, know, you can only get so far by yourself. Yeah, I'm glad so. you're reading that. I'm glad it's interesting. You had the same reaction after a while. It just like, oh man, you you just I, I don't understand how people can admire you. I, I just don't. You know, I, it's yeah. it's difficult. The more you read and learn about him, like he was part of some very impressive things from like being in the Corps of Engineers. Oh sure, uh, you would be interested in that. Yeah, yeah, and and like his time in. You know, in the Mexican-American War, like, you know, he he did some impressive things from mm-hmm. a, a bravery category. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. like, we haven't started the Civil War. And, you know, most of the things they talk about is his personal life and, you know, the things with his family. And he he gets mm-hmm. made to be the executor of a number of wills. And like yeah. he, he has the opportunity to do the right things for a lot of different people and just doesn't. Yep. So, you know, maybe it's looking at some of it with modern eyes, but boy, it's it's really tough to feel any amount of empathy to mm-hmm. to Lee because I'm sure you had the same experience in the Grant stuff. Like, 
you're like, man, like I feel terrible for this guy. Like all yep. oh, there's so many of these bad things that are happening because he's trying to be a good person. Yes, and, it was and exactly the opposite. Wrong. Right. Exactly. He's trying to make the good choices, right? <laughs> it's true. It's so, so true. Yeah, so oh I, I've had a lot of things that I've been kind of paying attention to. And, That's great. And it's been nice fun. variety. I was reading the second book of Thulman, the trilogy, and then I listened to this one podcast because it's just fascinating the guests he has. And one of the guests he had was the author of a book called Empire of the Summer Moon. And his, he was talking about this book. I'm like, it, it's always printed for me. I want to learn stuff I just didn't know. You know, things historically. And so the book really focuses on the Comanche nation and the Comanches. And it's like, I know a lot of Indian tribes. You know, you know the Mohicans and the Sioux and the Apaches. And, you know, you know some of those names, but you don't really hear about the Comanches very much. But like, is he's talking about this book and the influence they had on America. It's just, it's just almost frightening. Like, Literally, the Spanish were trying to expand out of, you know, into Texas and up into the Midwest. The Comanches stopped the Spanish. This is the same Spanish who conquered Central and South America, and they yeah, stopped every- them. And they stopped them. This is it, the French were trying to expand to the West from Louisiana. This is the French, like the Napoleonic French, right? He stopped them. The, the Comanches stopped these guys. They were so ferocious as warriors. And he talks about how they became that way because they weren't always this just frightening light cavalry. It's also a book about the formation of the Texas Rangers, which is fascinating because they really were formed as a counter to the Comanches because the timing was before the Civil War when this started. And they were talking about how there really was no cavalry and the Comanches were all horse mounted and it, mm-hmm. it just expert horsemen, like probably the light, best light horsemen in the world, right? The United States didn't have a cavalry yet. And so people were trying to fight these, <laughs> this Indian tribe with flintlock rifles and handguns. And it, it's just fascinating. And the guy has very strong feelings early in the book. You know how he feels about, you know, the Americans as they were moving west and how that impacted them. But it also, you talked about balance and objectivity. He also talks about how brutal the Comanche were. They were just like the Apaches were afraid of these guys and yeah. the Sioux were afraid of them. It just looks like it's going to be a really interesting book, what I've read so far, Empire of the Summer Moon. And then my comment in my notes is... Black Library sucks, and I'm going to tell you why. So, (laughs) I'm going to say this, okay? I have been trying to get my hands on End in the Death Part 2, right? I've been... A physical copy. Yeah, physical hardbound copy. And I've been, you know, very loyally going back to Black Library every week to see. And up to this past weekend, I went there, and all they have on the Black Library website is an ebook and audiobook. It's been that way ever since the book came out. They've never showed a hard copy version of the book. Okay. Well, I'm like, okay, that just can't be because there are people reading this book. I know there are people reading this book. So I have this kind of alternate bookseller that I go to, online bookseller. I was like, I'm going to try this. So I went on and he had a copy of freaking End in the Death Part 2. I'm going... Oh, well, this, this is just, this is crap. Like there, there are many copies, you know, and I was looking around at other places. There are all kinds of copies of this hardcover book floating around. And, but Black Library never had it on their website. 
And I'm going, this isn't right. Like before, you know, for all the other heresy books, I, I looked and they were all there. And so it was really disappointing for me to see that. So I ordered the book. I think week after next, it's going to be here, which is great. And I can start reading it when I travel. But then, you know, the, you just mentioned End of the Death Part 3 is coming out. And I'm going to guarantee you that it's going to show ebook and audiobook on Black Library, right? So I went back to my guy, and sure enough, he's got End of the Death Book 3 ready for pre-order. Like he said it'll be delivered in early February. It's like, sign me up, boys. There you go. <laughs> but it was like, that's not right. Because Black Library, it, it, it's a library, right? It sells books. And that is typically the goal of <laughs> producers of books. Of publishers, right? And yeah. yet they're not showing hardcover or even paper I, I know the paper covers probably aren't gonna copies aren't gonna come out till like may or, or april yeah, or something it's, it's not supposed to go up for pre-order until saturday right so right. your your guy is just taking numbers to get his allocation right. and yeah 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 um is it like a website or something yeah is it's a website that, it's called so, abe some people call it abe but i call it abe books but i bought books from him before you should link it in the show Okay. Like in the like in the notes section for people because okay. I I can't imagine that you're the only person with this problem. Dan. Yeah, and like, it just I, was extremely disappointing. And people who listen to the show know that I'm really big on, you know, dead tree books. Especially, I want to have all hard covers for the for the heresy. And so I gave them their last shot, and it was just like you guys really. Yeah, we're we're screwing around with too much yeah. stuff here. Yeah, it, it just was unfortunate. So I got my books on order. They'll be here. I'll be able to read them, and that'll be cool. That That's the good news in all this. So moving on from that, I've been continuing to listen to a little bit of Gene Father trying to make progress. Choose Your Enemy, which is the 10th Caiaphas Cain book. Uh, Cindy and I were actually listening to that on our trip back from Virginia, so we almost got to the end of it. So I'm almost finished with that. I finished Blood Pact, which was the 10th Gaunt's Ghost book, I think. And I started on Salvation's Reach, um, which... Oh, just such great stories. But those I'm listening to, having read all of them, I have all the books on my shelf and very, very good. So that's listening. I finished House of Usher. It is creepy. It is gory. The acting is solid. I didn't at first, as you well know, think I was going to enjoy it. But once I started watching it, I love the fact that it does pay its homage to Poe. Like the title of every single episode was one of his stories. And it was like, oh, I know what this is going to be about, right? And yeah. like I told, we were talking offline about the pit and the pendulum. And I know what that story is. I, I read the such, story. Such a cool scene in that show. Yeah, and I'm like, how the heck are they going to do this in 2023, right? But it actually worked beautifully. And it was just like the story. And going, you know, having finished watching it, what happened to the house at the end of this House of Usher is almost exactly what happened in the story, the actual book. And so it was really cool that they did maintain those connections and the brick wall thing, there's there's one of his best stories, one of my couple few favorite stories of his. I, I like most of his, but it's called The Cask of Amontillado. Mm. And so if you ever read that story and you watch this, you're going to instantly know what's going on when there's this brick wall thing going on. And it was like, <laughs> oh, that's just beautiful. <laughs> it's so perfect. 
So Poe, right? It was cool in the last episode that they were quoting the Raven, like they were reading right from the poem, you know, from the story. Um, that was really, really neat. So overall, very good. The mystery lady was my favorite character, though, I will say. She was very cool. And she did such a wonderful job of acting. Like she had to play all these different roles, you know. Yeah, she, she did very nice. The next thing is, for some reason... I never watched the Pacific, that miniseries, which was kind of the... That's that's shocking. I know, isn't it? To Band of Brothers, for those who don't know, same producers, everything else. It's, you know, the Rotten Tomato scores are above 90. They're, they're really high. It's still very, very highly rated. I think, Brendan, I watched like the first part of the first episode when it first came out. And it was just like, eh, okay. But for some reason, I had an interest and I started watching it again. I got through the first episode like, wow. I don't know why the heck I didn't watch this. Yeah. So so that is my workout thing now that I'm working through. And then Cindy and I have been watching, of course, Reacher season two. Reacher is just awesome. If you haven't read the books, you definitely should watch this series. It's really well done. The acting is actually very good. The action is very good. And then we are watching this series called Night Agent, which is about an F young FBI agent. And it's it's interesting. The acting certainly isn't to the level that Reacher is, but it's an interesting story. And it, for a couple to just sit down and watch it, it's nice for us to just engage in it. And then the good news is we only have a few weeks to wait before Masters of the Air, which is the next Band of Brothers Pacific oh, cool. um, kind of uh, miniseries about the 8th Air Force in Europe. And again, they're, gonna, they're going to focus on the 100th Bomb Group which was known as the Bloody Hundredth, and we're going to find out why. Could be for any reason. <laughs> yeah, any reason at all. Blood for the blood god. No, no, that's something else, right? <laughs> but to that that should be really nice. Supposed to, the week of the 26th or something like that is supposed to come out. Uh, that's it. Then for Scriptorium, buddy. Okay. So let us move on to this and that. Okay. So this or that time, who's starting? I'm going to have you start, Dan. Okay. So my first question is, if you were going to start Old World New, would you take Knights, Bretonians, or would you take Tomb Kings? That's a good question. Cause the, so Tomb Kings is like, has always been a really weird faction for me because... When my my best friend who also got into Warhammer Fantasy Battle with me, Tomb Kings was like his army. That's you know one of the ones that he he started with, and so in my brain that faction has always been unavailable. <laughs> but you know we don't we don't live anywhere near each other. I can't tell you the last time him and I played a game of Warhammer. You know he he lives in Denmark now. Okay. You know so like like it it's obviously an available faction, and like it it fits so many things that I really like. I probably would pick Tomb Kings. Aesthetically, mm. Bretonians are all a really cool army when someone gets it all the way painted and, and that sure. stuff. And like, yeah, but I, starting from zero, I'd probably go Tomb Kings. Okay. So you're going to get End in the Death Part 3. But okay. they've just told us, this is hypothetical, of course, they've just told us there are no audiobooks available, only ebooks <gasps> and Dead Tree books. And I want to know how you are going to end up reading this particular book. I mean, it's going to have to be a dead tree book if I'm getting no audio book. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. I just wondered. I doubt I'm going to get no audio book forever. No, no, you you will. I'm just, this yeah. is just hypothetical, obviously. Oh, okay. So yeah, the, the dead tree book is the one that we probably won't get right away. 
So the next question is sports question. I have two of those. Who's going to play in the Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> On the side of the AFC, the Ravens look really good. Yes. And that that it they just look like that's what that team is supposed to do when they're healthy. In the last two seasons, they just haven't been. Okay, which is unfortunate because it's it's really they're a really fun team on both sides of the ball. So that'll be my team on the AFC. On the side of the NFC, I'll I'll take the Lions. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I love their coach. I love their play style. Mm. You know they've they've been terrible forever. <laughs> like. Yes, they're an NFC North division rival, but like that's a that's a team that I think is really easy to root for. Okay. You know, they were they were screwed by the refs against the Cowboys mm, a couple weeks ago yeah. and I I hope they take it out on everybody on okay. the on the way to the Super Bowl. Awesome. Okay. At this point in the season. Okay. The Bucks or Celtics? <sighs> The Bucks have no idea what they're doing right now. <laughs> Thank you. Even I know that. Yeah, <laughs> Just reading like, in the paper. I, it's. I think it's coaching. I mean, what okay. a what a weird decision hiring Griffin was. Yeah. I mean, yikes! Like, I get it. You know, if this is the guy that has all the potential in the world, you know, you you give him some breathing room and let him figure it out. But like. I mean, it, it just looks terrible. Like the, mm-hmm. it's it's sure. just com- it's completely incoherent basketball. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think right now, this moment in time, you play a seven game series. The Celtics win it in five. Okay. Fair. So the last one is a House of Usher question. Okay. So the two main characters are Roderick and Madeline, kind of the king and queen of the family. Who do you think is more creepy? Oh, it's um, it's the sister. The <laughs> she's she's way creepier because you know the the brother Roderick, like his his motivations are really understandable. He's as as difficult as it is to relate to that character. He's very relatable. Mm. You know who who wouldn't want to you know, be really successful and have lots of money and, you know, like yeah. be able to live this comfortable life where you're, you're the guy who wouldn't, who wouldn't want that. Yeah. But yeah, the, like the sister wants like eternal life and like esoteric power. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It was funny, you know, just real quick with the House of Usher. Like, I almost felt bad, like I was a bad person at points in that show because everyone in the Usher family was just a horrible person, Brendan. And, and every negative adjective you could use would describe any of the members of that family, except for the granddaughter and the young wife. Those are the only two. who They're just horrible people. And every time they died horribly, I was like, oh, that's great. Like, that was perfect. I was really happy with that. It didn't bother yeah. me a bit, right? And it was like, wow, I feel like I don't have a conscience or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was really, really cool. All right, what do you got for me? We'll, we'll go Warhammer things first and then other things. Okay. So scheduling for Adepticon, you've made it very clear that like playing in the two-dayers, not, not your thing. Mm-mm. But there are more one-dayers on offer. 
I know if I put the narrative choices in here, you'd pick that, so I took them out. Would you rather play in the Legacy format, the 3K format, or the Dawnbringer format? Yours is three games, right? Or is it four? So Legacy and 3K are three games. Yeah, I would rather play three games in a day instead of four. I think that's one of the reasons that I didn't pick Dawnbringers was because it was four games. It's just in one day, that's just a lot. So between Legacy or 3K then, which would you... I'd rather do like 3K. I'd like to have a big army like that to do crazy stuff with. Sure. Yeah. I, I could bring all my tree lords plus I could bring all my Kronoths, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, and so that's one of the things about the 3K format that I feel like a lot of people don't really appreciate is you can build your 2,000 point list. Yeah. And then, you know, for your destruction players, you can slap on Kragnos and then like another unit. Yeah. You yeah. Know, for your death players, you can have your 2,000 point army and you slap on the gash and you're good to go. Yeah. Like, Sylvanus player, built your list, you toss an Illarial, you're good to go. And yeah. like, yeah, it's so lovely. You learn it. You're, you're adding two war scrolls. Like yeah. you, know, it does, you don't have to add, you know, another seventy skeletons. Right. Like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I I love that. I love the three sure. K. All right. So, similar to your question about old world, but I'm it's going to be different, right? Of the starting factions, you know, I say, Dan, I just got the spare army in my closet. You know. What what would you hope that that army would be to if you were going to start playing Old World? Wood Elves. Wood Elves. Yeah, it doesn't take it just a second because okay. I loved the Wood Elves. I loved their stories. I loved their models and the units and how I remember them playing on the table. I mean, they've not got that a really I, cool motivation like in yes. the game as well. Like yes. they function really differently from a lore perspective. Yes. And I read enough stories, you know, old world stories with them. With the and they and the Bretonians were actually pretty regular opponents. They and the beastmen. Beastmen used to try to get into the woods and they were just like, "Okay, come on." So yeah, I just I loved the function of the different models and my very 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 first Warhammer model ever was the Forest Dragon. Mm. Um, and of course, like she does with many of my models, Cindy named her, so uh, she, <laughs> she's sitting over my workbench still, my metal forest dragon. So, yeah, cool. Cool. All right. Kind of within the, the House of Usher, you know, you, you had talked about how that was the series of poems you had read in, in high school, kind of at the direction of, you know, yeah. you got, your English teacher was, was pushing you all to, to go through and explore different pieces of literature that you maybe wouldn't normally. Mm-hmm. What is another book or series of kind of books or short stories from your youth that you would like to see made into a modern setting like the House of Usher was? Mm. Oh, that's tough. There's two or three. Uh, Boy, that's a great question, man. I, I, I think it was one of the things that, I was uh, really affected by was our teacher made us literally memorize the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Okay. And of course, you know, I had some personal interest in that because of my interest in the Navy and, you know, the sea and all that. But I think that would be a really cool thing to like kind of usher up because it's kind of creepy at the same time. It's really (laughs) an interesting story, but to have, I don't know how, I don't know if they'd read the poem, but 
to make that into a story and how his life turned out when he made the big mistake that he made. That, that would be really cool. And I think, again, there would be that balance of creepiness and interesting story about his personal conflicts and how he had to deal with all the stuff that happened to him. So, yeah. Okay. Or the Ancient Mariner, yep. I'll ask you the same. Who would, you know, who are your Super Bowl teams? I, you and I both had the national championship game. We tried to record before it, and it just yes. didn't work. No. <laughs> I think um, the Cowboys on the NFC side. I really do. Okay. I, they are really playing hard. I'm not a big Cowboys fan, but if I have to you know, put money, I'd say they got a really good shot at making it. On the AFC side... Kansas City is just too inconsistent. You know, everybody, it's, it's the whole thing where they're making a big deal about them, but I don't know that they're really a big deal. You know, I, okay. I think they're overrated. Oh, man, that's, who else should I go with? Um, not the Raiders. Now the Raiders are very out. Yeah, right, right, because they were the team I grew up with. I don't know, maybe Baltimore? Okay. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this is a, yeah Ravens, yeah. We were just talking yeah. about those guys. Yeah, post team. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I think you're right about them. They've been consistent enough that I think they could definitely make it all the way. Yep. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Cowboys and Ravens. Okay. And my last question, Dan Coke or Pepsi? Oh, there is nothing else but Coca Cola. So, <laughs> Pepsi, if, if I'm desperate, I'd have a Pepsi, but no, Coca Cola all day long. So. so you're so you're one of those guys. You go to you know you go to a restaurant. You say I'll have a Coke, and they go, "Is Pepsi fine?" And you say, "Absolutely not. I'll have something else." No, no. I would go. Okay, I'll take that. I'd be fine. That's okay. <laughs> if I have, that's where I have to. And if I really like, I don't drink much soda anymore. I really wean right. myself off a of soda. But if I do want a soda, I would. Yeah. If that's all that's available, I'm not that guy that would say no. <laughs> Oh, good. All good, man. Wow, I can't believe it. It's show close time. Holy mud. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. So show close. Really, there's no Sunday announcements other than the pre-order for the for the end of the death part three. I mean, that was the major thing, I think, that we saw, wasn't it? There's. I don't think there was a whole lot of other stuff on Sunday. There might have been, but it wasn't significant enough to me to remember. Do you have any Q&A that you've gotten from folks? Yeah, I got a bunch of questions, okay. one, of which, one of which is really funny within the context of, of what we talked about. So I'm okay. going okay. so to pick that one. Yeah. Um, so effectively from our boss at Akon, Mike, you know, the, yes. the AOS program manager, he asked, what event is Dan most looking forward to at Akon and why is it Old World? <laughs> you! <laughs> well, my dear friend Mike... I hate to disappoint you, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But to answer the question, I think I'm looking forward to the two things, playing the pit on Saturday night and then that huge Normandy beach invasion thing on uh, Saturday during the morning and afternoon. Those are the two things I'm looking forward to the most. So I have a question from a young listener, Tara, and it was a question for me, why do you like cavalry so much? And I was thinking, like, what kind of... And then I was like, oh, yeah, I always talk about cav armies and whatever the units are and stuff. And so she made me think a little bit about why. And I don't know that there's any specific thing. It's more of just like a... They look cool. Yeah. They do I'm, cool stuff. And, yeah. and I think in AOS in particular, you have so many different kinds of mounts that it makes it really interesting. I mean, you know, Bone Reapers are riding 
bony horses, you know, they're, they're just made out of whatever. And, you know, you've got the new Morbeg bats, which are just freaking cool. Uh, but you could go through almost any, you know, you got the shark riders in, uh, in Eidneth. I'm just trying to think. And it's just the visual of them and the visual of historically of cavalry, you know, in whatever time period it was, it's just something about a human being riding on a horse into combat. It just, I don't know if it's inspiring or not, but it's just really cool, the visual part of it. And from a game perspective, I think it's neat that you have this unit that can move around so fast. It's just neat. Even if it's like Rev Seekers, you know, that's kind of, it is cavalry in its own way. And they can just fly all over the place and do fun things. You know, little wood people with their size swinging around. (laughs) So I think that's what it is. It's more the visuals and that kind of piece of it. All right, buddy. Episode 137, to be determined. Yeah, very, very to be determined. I think we're going to have a few of those. We don't even know when we're going to record it. There's going to be a few of those in the next six months, I think, before 4th and uh, GHB come out. Yeah, well, we've got a couple of Dawnbringers that are going to be for sure. that's true. Um, That's true. I I don't think that we're going to do a deep dive into Old World. No. I I don't think that's on the cards for us. If you would like to hear me talk about Old World, I'm going to be doing an episode on Warhammer Weekly. Great. About that, so stay tuned. I I don't know when the the show will come out, but I'll probably have been on by then already, or it'll be coming up unclear. Okay. So, yeah, I I think it's pretty safe to say this is going to remain a AOS podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it, man. First... First episode of 2024. Awesome. Finally got here. Yes, listeners, we had some technical problems uh, yesterday. and Dan was ready to throw the recording equipment across the room. <laughs> I, I really was. <laughs> I hate wasting my time, but more importantly, your time. And it was just so frustrating, man. It was like, nah. Anyway, we're done. We're here. Yeah. And we got you some content, and we're happy to have done that. Thank you, Brendan, for your patience yesterday and for hanging in today. I knew, I knew we'd figure it out eventually. Yes, we did. And listeners, as always, thanks for coming by. Hope you enjoyed the discussion today. We were all over the place, but I think we shared some pretty interesting ideas. And we're happy to welcome you guys to the show in 2024. And as always, everybody, uh, take care, stay safe, stay healthy. And don't forget shenanigans, because life is better when you're up to something. Bye! This is...